Uh, hopefully you can feel the love, Dwight's love for Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Good to be gathered together for worship and to see uh, so many familiar faces. I, I want to take a moment just to say thank you to those of you who call Hope your church home. Thanks for your commitment to this church. Uh, thank you to the Hope Kids for singing. There's something about kids singing that I think Dwight Schrute would have even enjoyed our kids singing, don't you? And uh, thank you to the moms and dads and grandparents and neighbors who bring your kids uh, so faithfully to Hope Kids. Thank you to the volunteers who serve all year long, making sure our kids understand and know God's love for them on a deeper and deeper level. Uh, the countdown is on to Christmas. I was looking, you can look at this Christmas countdown timer, 14 days and 14 hours left until Christmas, and so hopefully you are ready. Uh, this time of year is the time of year a lot of people make their way to church, maybe for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you're here visiting family members or friends, and so we want to say welcome to you. Uh, there's a lot of times there's people at church, and we actually hope and expect this happens every week, there are people at church who are not sure what they believe wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians, have pretty big questions about faith and God and the Bible and church and how does this all fit together. And so if that's you, we just want you to know we're really glad that you're here. We, we built this place to be a safe place for anyone to ask the kind of questions that you might be thinking uh, that you might be having today. I, I think whether you're a Christian or not, for a lot of people this time of year, we talk about being the most wonderful time of the year, but I think for a lot of people this is one of the most disappointing times of the year. And there's all kinds of reasons why people might be disappointed, and, and maybe that's why you're here. You've got something disappointing going on in your life, and you wonder if God, if faith, if Jesus can do anything to kind of help things look up in your life. One of the things that people get disappointed about, just kind of a minor thing, but it feels big sometimes, is Christmas presents. And what do we get the people in our lives, and what if we're not able to get them the right gift, or what if they don't get us the right gift? So I was on a website this week called Statistic Brain, and you can just type in different statistical searches that they will do for you. I typed in uh, must-have Christmas gifts, and they came up with this list over the years of what are the must-have Christmas gifts for each year, starting back in 1983. For those of you who are children of the 80s, uh, even if you're not, take a look at this video. It'll be a little bit of a trip down memory lane. That's when it all started, Black Friday craziness. and uh, cabbage, you guys, Did you have Cabbage Patch dolls? Anybody get a Cabbage Patch doll? Ah, not even close to 64% of you. So th this uh, Statistic Brain website is fascinating stuff. So... The must-have item in 1983 was the Cabbage Patch doll, $25, and 64% of American households actually purchased a Cabbage Patch doll that year. Then the other items, Trivial Pursuit, Pound Puppies, Teddy Ruxpin, Jenga, and Pictionary. A couple of things that, that I want to point out about uh, this list. Most of the gifts are in that $25 to $30 price range. But you look in 1986 with Teddy Ruxpin, it jumps all the way up to triple digits. 100 bucks for Teddy Ruxpin, but look at the percentages. It drops pretty significantly down to 58%. What I think is most fascinating is what happens the next year. The number one must-have item is Jenga, coming in at only $14, but look at the percentages. Jumps up to 78%. It's like people are saying there's a connection between how expensive the must-have item is and whether or not we're going to buy it. And, and it kind of, the trend continues throughout the uh, 1990s, and there's things like Tickle Me Elmo and uh, Beanie Babies and that sort of thing, most in that $30 range. But take a look at what happened starting in the year 2010. 
The must-have item becomes the iPad, 499 bucks, And I can't believe 69% of American households bought that that year at Christmas. Look at 2012 is the iPad mini, 2014, the Razor Crazy Cart. I don't even remember that thing. But no longer is it 25 to 30, 35 bucks. It jumps all the way up between 300 and 500 dollars. And look what happens to the percentages of households. By the time we get to the end of that five or six year run, now it's down in the 40s, the lowest percentage of people getting the must-have items. And I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons for that, but part of what I think we can learn from this is the, they've just been skyrocketing the prices. And that's not the only thing that's skyrocketing. The pressure around getting the must-have item is skyrocketing as well. And the disappointment for half the people who don't get the must-have item is skyrocketing as well. Disappointment. This can be a really disappointing time of the year for a lot of people. And there's a look to disappointment. And I know it's early, and you were up early trying to get your kids all pretty, for, but try to wake up long enough. I'll, I'll see if I can engage you in a, in a way that keeps you awake. We're going to take a look at some pictures, and I want you to tell me which picture is the look of disappointment. Do you think we can do that? I'll put two pictures on the screen, and you tell me which one is disappointing. You re- make sense? Some of you are still asleep. Elbow the, okay, here we go. Here's option A or option two. Which, which one's disappointing? Two, option two. I mean, it's not the best look of disappointment, but compared to this, that's the look. How about uh, the next slide? Which one is disappointing? Picture A or picture two? Picture two. Grandpa and grandma, take note. I mean... We need underwear, I suppose. Anyway, a lot of people in this church love animals. Which animal is disappointed on this next slide? Option A or option two? Option A. You guys are good at this. How about sports fans? Which which of these pictures is disappointing? Option A or option two? Very disappointing, number two, isn't it? Hawkeye fans, what do we want for Christmas? How about a win? I don't know. Uh, Next slide, next slide. Movies, yeah, Christmas movies. Which one's disappointing? The Grinch is disappointing. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I, I tried to find images that had a different kind of body posture going on. Kind of our natural instinct when we are disappointed is to drop our heads and look down. So the Grinch is looking down, disappointment around Christmas. The other thing I hope you notice is there's this connection between disappointment and expectation. There's a connection between disappointment and expectation. So if I were to ask you, is there anything in your life today that is disappointing to you? Another way of asking the question would be to ask, is there anything in your life, any relationship or circumstance, anything going on in your life that is not living up to your expectations? Anything in your life that's not meeting your expectations. We have expectations we carry with them with us wherever we go. We have expectations in our marriages, expectations as it relates to our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our our children, expectations at the job, uh, expectations in our relationship with our boss or our co-workers or our compensation or our role in the organization. We have expectations around church. And I could ask for a show of hands, but let's not do that. I'm guessing all of us in this room, because we can think of something in our life that is disappointing, something in our life that's not meeting our expectations. We're disappointed. And disappointment doesn't feel good. And for some people, the only thing worse than feeling disappointed is feeling like we're a disappointment, like we're not living up to somebody else's expectations. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. Jesus disappointed pretty much everyone. I mean, by the time he gets to the cross, he has disappointed everyone. His birth is a bit of a disappointment. He's got an unwed teenage mother. Uh, she's from Galilee. Scripture writers ask, can anything good come from Galilee? There's no room for Jesus when he's born, so they have to put him in a manger. And the only good thing about that is when Jesus is growing up, if he forgets to close the door of his home in Nazareth or if he forgets to make his bed or pick up his room, his parents cannot say, what's wrong with you, Jesus? Were you born in a barn or something? And he can say, yeah, I was. Thanks a lot. Anyway, he disappoints all kinds of... His, his friends are disappointing. He picks the wrong people to associate with, to hang out with. Uneducated fishermen, people nobody else wants, uh, women, notorious sinners. That's who Jesus says, come be close to me. He his ministry at a certain level is disappointing. Luke tells a story. Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who's suffering from leprosy. But Jesus tells him, don't, don't tell anybody what has happened. But here's what Luke records, despite Jesus' instructions to keep it on the down low, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus is experiencing ministry success. More and more people want to hear what he has to say. Now more and more people want to be around him so that they might experience his healing power. And so what might we expect if someone is experiencing success like this? You would expect Jesus would say, hey, we need to do whatever we can do to, to make myself more available to people. But that's not what he does. He does something unexpected. Luke writes, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And you might say, well, what's disappointing about that? What if you'd been in line to hear Jesus preach, or you'd been in line for yourself or someone that you love to be healed by Jesus, and Jesus calls time out and says, I need to go, I just need to leave. You'd be disappointed. Jesus disappoints the religious establishment. Like, Jesus, why, why are you harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Why are you healing people on the Sabbath, Jesus? Why don't you and your disciples follow the, the ritualistic customs like everybody else, Jesus? He's constantly disappointing the religious establishment. They're shaking their heads. He's not living up to their expectations. Jesus disappoints his family as he's doing his public ministry and he's not meeting the expectations of a lot of people around who the Messiah is supposed to be and what the Messiah is supposed to do. People are getting upset at Jesus and so his family comes one time and they want to kind of usher him away, put an end to this ministry so that nothing bad happens to Jesus. And somebody says to Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus is like, nah, my mom and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. And I'm not suggesting you employ that strategy for getting out of family gatherings this year at Christmas. But this is what Jesus does. He disappoints John the Baptist. Now, the angel appears to Mary in our Bible reading, says, Mary, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. And then he says, your relative Elizabeth is going to be a mother as well. She gives birth to John the Baptist. And John and Jesus... They're relatives. They grow up in pretty close proximity to one another. They have visible public ministries when they become adults. John baptizes Jesus, and John is always pointing people to Jesus. I must decrease. He must increase. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. John wants everyone to know. And then John experiences disappointment. He gets arrested, he gets thrown in prison, and you are not going to believe me when I tell you this, but this is what the Bible says. When Jesus finds out John, his friend, his family member, has been thrown in prison, what does Jesus do? He goes to the beach. It's not really what the scripture says, but kind of. If you look closely, scripture says 
John's ministry is happening in the Judean wilderness. And he gets thrown in prison, and when Jesus finds out, Jesus leaves Judea and goes to Galilee, and specifically, he goes to the shore, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Capernaum, which looks a little bit like this. And so, if you're John the Baptist in prison, and you find out that when Jesus hears you've been thrown in prison, he leaves, he distances himself from you, that would be a little unexpected. That, that would be disappointing. And we know that John is disappointed because in his disappointment, he, he's got some questions for Jesus. In prison, he sends two of his disciples to find Jesus, to ask Jesus a question. And see if you can feel the disappointment in this question. Let's read this out loud together. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Ever been there? Ever find yourself disappointed with Jesus? Ever find yourself expecting, hey, if, if I put my faith in Jesus, if I start living this life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that's going to mean X, Y, Z, or A, B, C, and then what do you do when it doesn't work out the way that you expect it might work out? How do you respond? When you find yourself like hoping, praying that God is going to do something, you're expecting God to do something, and it feels like God's taking a day at the beach, what are you supposed to make of that? How do you respond? Here's one thing that you could do in those kinds of moments. You could change your expectations. You could change your expectations. Jesus might not be the Messiah we are expecting, but Jesus is the Messiah we need. By the time Jesus gets to the cross, pretty much everyone's been disappointed by Jesus. He has not done or said or acted exactly the way they were expecting the Messiah to act. They're disappointed, but it turns out he might not have been the Messiah they were expecting, but he was absolutely the Messiah they needed, and the same is true for you and me. And if we can get to a place in our life where we allow Jesus to be the Messiah we need and stop trying to box him or form him or shape him into the Messiah we want or expect, that's when things can start to look up in our lives. I saw a picture this week that, for me, was a helpful reminder of this connection between expectation and disappointment. Here's a couple of, uh, well, three actually, professional athletes. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I don't necessarily automatically think all three of them must be professional athletes. Joel Embiid, he's the center for the Philadelphia Center 76ers. Jose Altuve, second baseman for the Houston Astros, and J.J. Watt, a defensive end for the Houston Texans. Jose Altuve, five foot six, 156 pounds, led the Astros to the World Series championship, was voted most valuable player of the American League this past year. And I was thinking, you look at this picture, what if Jose Altuve had grown up with this dream of being a professional basketball player? Or what if his parents had said to him, our expectation is that you're a professional athlete, but it has to be a basketball player. There would have been a lot of disappointment there, right? Or what if Joel Embiid had thought, I'd really like to play second base in the major leagues. Not too many seven-footers playing baseball. Disappointment. When we find ourselves in these seasons of disappointment, we have to ask the expectation question. Are my expectations realistic? Are my expectations somehow out of whack? Or are they good? Are they helpful expectations? There's a connection between our expectations and the amount of disappointment that we experience in our life. 
And if we can start to do the work of figuring out how do those kind of play together in, in each of our lives, that can move us into a place where things starting looking, start to look up for us. King David has a pretty good life in the Old Testament, but he also experiences some disappointment. I mean, that's putting it mildly. His son Absalom at one point wants to overthrow his dad's government. He's starting a coup and he is chasing his dad. Absalom wants to kill David so Absalom can be the king. And David, in that dark and disappointing place in his life, writes Psalm 3. Let's read this out loud together. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Some of the older translations of this verse simply say, you're the lifter of my head. You're the lifter of my head. What if we were to actually make this our practice this year, the next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, maybe even longer if you want to, but when we find ourselves in those seasons of disappointment, we look up and we simply say this in kind of this, I don't know, prayerful expectation. God, you're the lifter of my head. Let's all say this out loud together. You're the lifter of my head. One more time. You're the lifter of my head. I really want you to try to do this, and so we'll, we'll just kind of practice it. If you, if you find yourself feeling disappointed, sometimes there's minor disappointments we experience in life around Christmas. Maybe some of you are wanting a white Christmas. Maybe some of you are wanting a 60-degree Christmas. Somebody's going to be disappointed by the weather this year at Christmas. If you're disappointed, what are you going to say? You're the lifter of my head. What if you do not get the must-have Christmas gift of this year? What are you going to say? You're the lifter of my head. Or you cannot find the gift that your child says is going to make or break Christmas for you. You can't find it. You can't get it for him. What are you going to say? You're the lifter of my head. What if you discover that phrase, some assembly required, actually means you need like a mechanical engineering degree to put the present together? You're going to say, you're the lifter of my head. There's some minor disappointments we experience in life, but there's also major disappointments. And some of you are, are walking through that reality this particular season. And the disappointment, the sorrow, and the sadness, and the confusion that that disappointment brings can be overwhelming, particularly this time of year. And when we're in those moments, we can still lift our heads and we can say to God, you're the lifter of my head. This is who God is. This is what God does. God causes us to look up. He's the one who lifts our head, who gives us this hope. And, and just to be clear, just to be clear, some of you may be taking notes and you're going to talk about what did you learn at church today and someone's going to say, well, I think what Pastor Scott says is we need to just lower our expectations so we won't be so disappointed. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. If God is the one who lifts our head, part of what that means is to be a Christian is to live a life of great expectation. I mean, the, the angel shows up in Mary's life in an unexpected way, says you're going to be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of Jesus. Remember how Mary responds? How can this happen? It happens through a miracle. And the simplest way I know, how do you define or describe a miracle? A miracle is when God does something unexpected. What if we actually started to live expecting God to do the unexpected, expecting God to do something miraculous? And that, that's, being a Christian is not about how do I lower my expectations so I avoid disappointment. That's not what it's about. Being a follower of Jesus is about learning to live with greater and greater levels of expectation all the time. Easter, it's God showing up and doing a miracle, God doing something unexpected. 
This is who God is. This is what God does. Do, do we expect God to do the unexpected in our lives? Do we live with great expectation? Let's read this verse out loud together from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It's on the screen. Read it with me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Now, now, we live with great expectation. Because Christmas happened, it was a miracle. God became one of us. And Easter happened, it was a miracle. God died for us, and the power of God's love was strong enough to raise Jesus to new life, and that new life is available for all of us. We now, we right now, can live with great expectation because God is a God who does the unexpected. God's in the miracle business. The employees of the Scranton branch of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company are disappointed at Christmas, not just because they have to decorate the tree together, but because their boss, Michael Scott, tells them they're about to enter the ranks of the unemployed. Take a look. So here's what we're going to do. If you could all stand up, I'm going to dive on... <laughs> Let's not... But stand up, stand up. Maybe we should just sing a song about the greatness of God. I, I don't know what the disappointment is in your life that you're facing, that, that you're experiencing, but I do know there's a God who shows up and, and does the unexpected, does miracles. And so it's my prayer that God will do that for you in God's timing, not according to our expectations, but according to what God is up to in our lives in this world. So let's take the opportunity to sing this song as a, as a prayer uh, to God to do the great things that he does for us. <laughs>